gorgeous listeners and attendees of this special panel for International Women's Day. There's been a ton of events for people to choose from, but of course, since Glow West focuses on sex, uh, of course, we had to look at sex in all of its weird and wonderful glory, from pleasures, confusions, delights, and everything all in between. I'm joined by an absolutely stellar lineup, some of whom you might be familiar with from previous episodes. The others will be on episodes coming up shortly. For those of you who didn't know that, um, <laughs> including the panelists, you will be on episodes shortly. And I'm delighted to be sponsored by the incredible Hanks who make body safe lube and vegan condoms. And I have some to give away as spot prizes at the end. So we will get to that shortly. Our friend of the podcast, Bear Grogan, is live tweeting under the hashtag IWD21SexTalk. And this will be released as a general podcast on Tuesday. So let's get started. In no particular order, I'm joined by Yale the Sex Geek, who is a sex educator, sex coach, researcher, author, speaker, curriculum developer and workshop facilitator and I've actually left out a few <laughs> titles there in the midst of all that. Um, they're a queer polyamorous white presenting New York and Jew and the author of an intro guide to a sex positive you lessons tales and tips which is a queer and trans inclusive book. Yale how are you keeping down Mexico? I'm loving Mexico. I left right before all the storms hit New York City, so I'm quite happy. <laughs> happy days. Better weather than over here as well, I'm sure. So fab. Um, our next guest is Robin Wilson-Beatty, who is a speaker, writer and advocate for disability and sexuality. She combines years of personal experience with medically sound research and is a member of the American so the Association of American Sexual Educators, Cancers and Therapists and the Women of Colour Sexual Health Network. Robin, how are you tonight? I am doing really well. I am excited. I always love getting to do these international talks. And um, as someone who has a connection to England and Ireland, I'm very happy to be doing this. Awesome. But you are most welcome as a returning podcast guest. <laughs> That's fab. Um, our next guest is Carly S, who is the queen of wands, pleasure educator, adult product expert, porn star, model, sex blogger, and a bad bitch from the Bronx. She's been a manager and educator of Spectrum Boutique, and she is also a polyamorous plus size woman of color. Carly, bad bitch from the Bronx. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to make it my brand because people hear me speak and they know I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> That's fair enough. And I think, yeah, you might as well, like, proudly, you, get, you should get that on a t-shirt, actually. Bad bitch from the yeah. Bronx. That would be, that would be cool. Um, our next guest then is Tatiana King, who is a Philadelphia-based sex blogger editorial contributor for Sexual Health magazine, a sex therapy graduate student at Widener University, and an international speaker. Her areas of interest are in psychotherapy, sexual pleasure, and kink and BDSM. Taddy, thanks Mel, for coming back to us on Glow West. No, thank you. I've been talking about this for the past week, and it's probably been all I've been talking about, so I'm really excited to join y'all today. Happy days. We like when people spend their weeks talking about sex. So that's always a good thing. And last but by no means least is Ginny, who is the founder of My Dab Disabled Sex Life on Instagram. And she talks about every aspect of her life with disability and wishes for every person with a disability to join in the conversation about sex and pleasure. She's passionate about advocating for a community and striving for better education for disability and sex. Ginny Fitzpa Fitzgerald, thanks, Emil, for coming on. How are you? 
Yes, good, thank you. Thank you for having me. I feel like absolutely, oh, I just can't get the words out. I'm so excited to be here amongst such amazing women here. This is fantastic. And as Carly's tagline is bad bitch from the Bronx, mine will be Nana from the North. So thank you very much for having me. I can't wait to chat with you all this evening. That is fab. Is there an Irish connection there, Fitzgerald? Uh, no, that was my married name, I'm afraid. Uh, okay. no, <laughs> I wouldn't know a clue. I do have <laughs> Irish family on the on me, uh, my grandma's side. Um, but yeah, not me, I'm afraid. Just, uh, okay. from, just from Lancashire. Just, okay, that's still good. That's still good. Um, so we had a ton of questions sent in because people like opportunities to talk about sex. Um, feel free to put them in the chat or send them directly to us or the Q&A. But I'm going to dive in um, and I'm going to, I suppose, direct the first one to, um, let me see, um, probably Ginny and to Robin. So this is a person who was newly diagnosed with chronic fatigue and they're worried about how it will impact their sex life because this is completely new to them. Um, Robin, how would that person approach their sex life? Um, when it comes to things like fatigue, being uh, tired, I'm thinking of like Emmy, uh, was it? Mm. But when you're super um tired um first off uh you have to realize that you're gonna have to be gentle yourself with yourself that this is okay i hate that i hate this phrase new normal but you know it's kind of like okay you learn to work with it and basically accommodate that disability like if you know i mean if you're going to be tired like you know like is it certain is it worse in certain parts of the day like is it are you even more tired you know by the end of the day um is it kind of you crash in afternoon you know but learning your body but then learning to plan for you know connection mm -hmm. and making you know kind of conserving whatever energy that you have in order to be like, you know what, um, I have date, I'm gonna have date night on Tuesday or whatever. So that day is maybe not the day where I'm gonna sit there and be trying to bust my ass doing housework and, you know, doing things that are gonna deplete my limited amount of energy. And, and you know, and it, it might not even work out like that. You maybe can make all the best plans in the world and that might not you might be too tired, but that's when I say you have to be, you know, you're going to have to be gentle and forgiving with yourself, but also be honest and be able to communicate about what's going on with your body. And with that your makes partner. perfect sense. Yeah. So planning ahead as much as we can. Yeah. Ginny, what are your thoughts on that? Definitely. And as somebody that's been newly diagnosed, this person's obviously having a little bit of a crisis in that they feel that they're going to lose their sex life because of this fatigue but that doesn't have to be the case backing up what robin said um you know scheduling is one of the best tools that you can have and it can mean that you have that time put aside where like like robin says you don't do your chores that day and you'll try and rest um and that can just really help to give you that energy to get you over the finish line there and make that date happen. But a lot of people misconstrue scheduling sex and date nights to be, you know, miserable and something that's, you know, oh, that's just taking all the spontaneity fun out. But 
no, use it to your advantage. Use it that way where you can build that suspense and make that um, part of the experience. You know, just because you've been diagnosed with chronic fatigue doesn't mean that everything's going to go out the window. I absolutely reiterate the kind, the point of being kind to yourself. Um, and yeah, that's about it, really. Scheduling doesn't have to be the be all and, you know, it's not the end of the world. And being kind to yourself leads into Definitely. probably all our questions tonight that, that <laughs> yeah. we have as well. Um, I'm going to move on to the next one that came in. Um, can you get addicted to a vibrator? And for that one, I'm going to have to go to Carly for. I was hoping that one was going to come to me. So I am a power queen. I love the most powerful vibrators that like people are scared are going to like get addicted to or desensitize you and I will tell you now that like if it was going to happen to anyone it would have happened to me and it has not happened um at worst what can happen with a vibrator is that you train your body to orgasm in one way so it could be harder to reach orgasm another way because you've trained yourself to just do it like laying on your back with your wand cranked up to 10 or, or whatever it is. So like mixing up your masturbation routine is really helpful. Making sure that like masturbation isn't coming before like your job or your friends. And like, then you don't have to worry about it like interfering with your life. So like you can't get addicted and it can't desensitize you. <laughs> I love that you're like hardcore. Give me, give me the heart. I'm just picturing like a jackhammer or something. And you're yeah. just like more. Yeah. More. <laughs> I have a <laughs> joke that every time we pass like a construction site, I'm like, what's that toy? Uh, <laughs> you're like, can I, can I just borrow that for like, yeah, I just minutes? want to know what it feels <laughs> fair enough fair enough um the next one I'm gonna go on to um I think Taddy and Yale and it's how does someone get involved in flogging and spanking without hurting someone and they mean the bad kind of hurt so not not the fun sexy kind of pain the the bad kind of pain Yale I'll start with you there I don't have it with me because I don't have a lot of things with me right now, but I have a little mannequin that I drew and you, there are parts of the body that can handle like a decent amount of hitting. And then there are other parts that can't, right? So like the fleshy areas of the butt and the thighs are safe. You don't want to do a lot of things like on the wrists or on the face or on the neck, right? Areas or like right under the rib cage where there are or the rib cage. So there are parts of the bodies that are safer in general, but also try them on yourself. If you were going to hit someone else with something, hit yourself with it first. It might not be in a sensation that you are seeking to enjoy, but it will let you know how much power is behind the thing that you are hitting someone with. And is it is a safer way to make that kind of consideration. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Especially for something like with, you don't might not realize how much force you're actually putting into something. So yeah, absolutely. Taddy, your thoughts on that? I would do the same thing. I actually try the object on my wrist first, just to see how it's going to be like in my skin. And also I've learned from going to different sex conferences, like for example, Exotica, it happens usually four times a year. And they have like this sex dungeon where you can actually explore with professionals and they get to, with your consent, they get to practice anything that you'd like to try, whether it be flogging or spanking or suspension. And that's actually um, how I learned what my, I guess, what my comfort level is to that kind of stuff. So I suggest trying it on yourself and maybe going to different conferences and see how that works out. 
Oh, well, hopefully vaccine time, we can have more conferences and uh, all around sex and nudity and well, they're still, they're, they are still going on, but we don't talk about those because that's irresponsible, but no, we'll go to that one. Um, perfect. The next one is more about relationships and um, jealousy, which is fairly common. You know, that's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's how to deal with jealousy when someone is wanting to try out being polyamorous. So they're, they're into it. They're into the idea. They're just worried that they're a general kind of jealous person in general. So um, for that one, I'm going to go over to Carly and to Yale. So, I mean, if you're a polyamorous person, but you're also a jealous person, those two things can exist in the same, like, environment. It's just about managing your jealousy. It's about figuring out what's the root of your jealousy. Is it that I'm not getting as much attention? Is it that when my partner is doing something with their other partner, I don't have anything that I'm doing and I'm, like, waiting around? So finding something to do whether it's a hobby or like your own partner or whatever it is to not distract you, but like give you something to do other than waiting around for your partner is really helpful, but also just like finding tricks to manage the jealousy in healthy ways and to really just practice communicating it and not letting it eat you up inside and cause rifts in the relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that goes for every configuration of a relationship as well. It's not just a poly thing. So yeah, yeah, your thoughts on that? I'm also just going to give you, it's a two-syllable Yael um, name correction. Oh, just apologies, apologies. <laughs> no, no problem. Most people get it wrong. Um, I agree with Carly. I actually have one of my freebies is a list of things that people might want to talk about. I'm really big on the idea that like pre-advanced communication is helpful and it won't prevent everything, but it really, like you might not think that something might cause your jealousy because you just never thought about it as a possibility. And then if a partner brings it up, they're like, oh, I did blank. And you're like, you did what? How could you do that, right? Because it hadn't been discussed prior. And it's not that this person necessarily wanted to, to pass your boundaries. It's not that this was even a boundary that you care about being passed, but the shock factor can be a really big deal in relationships in general and particularly with polyamorous ones. And also similar to what Carly said, like figuring out what is the root of your insecurity. I know for me, quality time is a love language. And so if someone schedules something with me, I expect them to be there. And if they're not, I'm gonna feel all types of ways, but I could give two craps who you're having sex with, right? As long as it's not my time. And so I make sure that if someone's gonna go on a date, I go, you know what? I'm not gonna see them till tomorrow to make sure that they have all the space that they need to do the things that they need. And I'm not waiting for that person. And so that kind of figuring out your expectations and your limits is a give and take and being willing to have those consistent check-ins and conversations. So as Kelly said, you don't end up festering because that ends up being a huge problem. Yeah, the festering part, if you're not talking, it's just going to bubble away under the surface and that's not where we want to be. You know. Well, you mentioned insecurity there and I want to come to Robin and Jenny for that about is there a potential for feeling that your disability can lead to insecurity if you're going out with a non-disabled partner or you're starting a new relationship and even if it's poly or, or monogamous or whatever it happens to be, does that lead to a sense of insecurity maybe sometimes? I'll go to Robin first there. I'm, you know, I can talk um, about that experience from, you know, uh, talking with other people with disability, but also like my own um, experience that, um, you know, interabled relationship, you know, where one person has 
a disability and one person does not. A lot of times, you know, people just in life and doing um, activities in general, people with disabilities will not, well, they, it's like you have to placate the person without a disability and make them comfortable in order for them to accept being with you. So I have seen where people with disabilities have downplayed um, to their detriment, um, mm-hmm. you know, what the nature of their disability is, you know, or in, in order to be included. But, um, but not only that, you know, because you're still, you know, having to get around all of those things, all of those myths that exist about people uh, with disabilities and about their sexuality and what their interests are and capabilities or, you know, or interest, or you know, there's, there's a lot going on. I have found that um, for my part, you know, that communication, I had, you know, ha- having to be able to talk and also being honest, having to be communicative and honest. And that if, you know, I, it might, I might not be able to connect with this partner. I, you know, full disclosure, I am Polly. And so I'm married, I have a husband, but when I met my other, my husband knew me as disabled because he met me that way. My other partner I had met online, you know, and so having to, I, I, I mentioned the disability like upfront and then like, this is who I am. Uh, this is what I'm about. Um, and you know, what you see is what you get in. There's also some things that you don't see that you get cause I have mental illness, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those kind of things, but I had to learn that, yes, there are going to be people that are not going to be okay with the fact that I'm disabled even though, you know, it might not have anything to do with what I can do in life or what I am doing in life or what I can do sexually or what I can't, they just already made that assumption. And that's cool. Cause I don't want you in my, I don't want you with me. I don't want to be doing anything with you. If you can't, if I'm going to have to hide who I am, or if I'm going to have to pretend to not have a disability or show you that I'm super crip and I can do all this, um, then uh, it, it means that uh, I don't want to be with her, but that's why I've just been really open and most, you know, and just communicating about like what the nature of things are. But let me hush because yeah. I know I want to hear what Jenny. <laughs> no, it sounds like perfect <laughs> advice. Yeah, Jenny. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, so my relationship, I wasn't diagnosed with my disability. Yes, I still had symptoms that affect me. I always have throughout my childhood, but um, I met my husband very young. Um, but you know, I didn't have a di- diagnosis for my disability then. But saying that, within a few months of our relationship I'd had a knee surgery so we were always sort of used to the fact that my body wasn't you know all always up to it and we had to adapt around things and things like that um but as my relationship has progressed over the years like I certainly have become insecure because of my disability within within this relationship you know I've, I've been I've been told that going on holiday with me is not a holiday because I'm disabled and there is always that element of caring for me and that makes you feel really really shitty sometimes and you know it doesn't always come from a place of you know negativity and like 
really mean it to be hurtful. You know, people can be struggling and whatever, but that is a hard thing to take on. I've actually done a video um, on my page a couple of months since that was called, am I good, good enough for a relationship? And, you know, when I talked about some of the things that happen in um, relationships with disability, especially interabled relationships, um, and that there's that element of caring and that makes you feel like the lesser part of the relationship. And there's a whole host of issues that I've come across. And with having mental health conditions myself, depression, and anxiety, there is constantly that little voice in my head that tells me that I'm not good enough. And, you know, when my husband married me, he didn't sign on for a life of care and then a life of disability um you know but does that make me less of a person does that make me less worthy of this relationship absolutely not mm-hmm. and through the work that I've done on this page I did a little bit of research when I first started out um and I and I asked a question about disclosing disability in relationships um and you know how did people feel about that where did people stand and one person responded um my safety as a disabled person and not injuring myself through a sexual activity means more to me than protecting someone from the fact that I'm disabled. It's like Robin says, um, you know, it, it there is when you play down your disability, it can be to your detriment. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, going forward, I will, you know, be far more positive about my disability. But there have been times that I have felt an insecure little mess because, you know, there is a lot of external pressure um to feel perfect to be perfect in a relationship especially um as a woman you know oh my gosh it's hard enough as it is throw a disability on that and it's been it's been a journey let me tell you it's been a journey (laughs) for sure yeah well that topic of anxiety and and stress actually has come up quite a lot tonight a lot of the questions kind of center around anxiety so we might dive into that the first one there was um how are we meant to deal with anxiety and dating in a pandemic Taddy I'm going to go to you for that one um I just it's a crap time to be dating I suppose really isn't it it really is not the ideal or what I'm used to dating amid the pandemic but how to end how to deal with anxiety and just general confusion and loneliness during this time I think it's important to and this kind of has to do with relationships and not at the same time but leaning on your friends and your support system because let's say you're having trouble finding someone to date, but you've leaned on your friends, they might actually have somebody to suggest to you. And I mean, some people may rely on dating apps and that's one thing that you can use, but I also say, speak to your friends and maybe like you can tell them what your type is or who you're interested in meeting. And I mean, maybe not meeting because this isn't the best time to just meet people you don't know because of social distancing and whatnot, but relying on your friends and talking to them about what you're going through will help you with your anxiety and any mental stressors you could have. And then maybe they might have a friend that you don't know about who they can kind of facilitate that introduction to you and that person. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think I like the idea of friends pointing out as well, because maybe sometimes we we get distracted by 
genitals or sex and we don't pay attention to the red flags and everything else that that kind of goes there so yeah um we'll come back to the anxiety one because there, there's a few um i wanted to go back to carly there um what kind of sex toy works best for a beginner so maybe it's not your gigantic power ones but maybe it's something a little bit more or maybe it is maybe you want to dive like straight in at the deep end no yeah so i mean that's the funny t- part about like beginner's toys is that they're really is no such thing as a beginner's toy. If you want to start with a wand and like that's the thing that you're seeing and you're like, that looks amazing, I say try it. Usually when we're talking about beginner's toys, we're talking more along like budget-friendly toys because people don't want to invest a lot of money. Um, and if you have like never owned a sex toy and you are a person with a vulva, I would say to invest in like a G-spot toy. They're longer, so you can use them inside of the body or you can use them outside the body and then you'll have a longer handle. And you can kind of explore way more parts of your body with a toy like that than something like a bullet. Lots of people say to start with a bullet because it's like not scary, but like really all you could do with a bullet is put it outside of the body. I like to say that like, if you want to explore inside your body, that's totally fine too. You can even get an anal safe toy and you can explore all your holes, but like thinking about what kind of sensation you're looking for, if you know that you already like to play around with your hand and you only ever touch the outside, then sure, get an external toy. If you know that all you do is put your fingers in you, get an internal toy. Like think more about how you're touching yourself or if you have no idea, get a toy that can do lots of different things. Just a magic wand, you know, massive fan. Um, it's here in the yeah. day. It's just like, oh my god, a tattoo of it. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> I love this. This is you are truly are the, the queen of wands, so I definitely get that. That's brilliant. Um, if we if we go to the uh, the communication side again, that that's come up in quite a few questions. I've kind of condensed it into kind of one, I suppose, and it was just how to be more confident in communicating your desire and you know what you actually want out of bed and um yeah Elle, I'm going to go to you for that one if that's okay this is like my favorite topic <laughs> I mean so one thing that I tell folks um or clients to do is to go through what is it that you think you might want and so yes no maybe fantasy sheets can be really helpful for that and just for those who don't know it's basically a list of things that you might want to engage in or ways that you want your body to be called or um safety and boundary and what have you depending on the list that you're looking at. And I always add fantasy, even if the list doesn't, because things can be really sexy in your head and then you don't want them to happen in real life. And that that is okay. And you get to use role play and dirty talk to make those things feel real without doing them. Um, but that's an aside. So if you go through one of those on your own, you can, you know, and people lie to themselves and that's okay too, right? It's exploration, things shift, but you can go and say, wow, that really sounds like something I don't want to do. Great. That is something that is often easier for people to communicate, to say like, these are currently boundaries that I have, like do not pass them. And then it's a matter of owning up to the things that you do wanna do, right? Like you might experience some shame or concern around the things that excite you. And this is easy for me to say from my current place, but if someone shames you for the things you like, then they might not be all that supportive a human being in your life, right? And so it just because you want something doesn't mean that you get it. And just because you want something, your partner doesn't owe it to you. But ideally, we want to be in relationships, whether they're just casual sex or longer, in which the people respect us and are not going to make us feel bad for what we want. They get to say, you know what, that's not my thing. Like, does it make me feel comfortable? Cool. 
but they shouldn't tell you like you're weird, you're bad and what have you. And so I think naming the things for yourself and then starting to verbalize it, you might ask for things non-verbally, right? Like I know that some people who enjoy choking and like, if you touch my neck, I'm going to freak out, but I know some people like choking and the way that they do it is they'll shift their hand, that person's hand up towards their neck. So you don't have to say it. You get to do other things to, to demonstrate it. And so practicing what it is that your most clear communication skills look like. And if you're concerned that people might understand, verbalizing that before anything happens, right? Before you're in the sex scenario. Which also helps with the consent aspect of, of things as well. If you're not able to formally say it, maybe moving a hand somewhere might work for you in that, in that particular situation. But we'll, we'll come back to consent um, in a little bit because, well, it underlines everything, doesn't it? <laughs> for quite obvious reasons. So absolutely. Um, I want to go to this one. Now, I think you could interpret this in a few different ways. How can you make your orgasm stronger? And this is somebody who said they're, they're only having small orgasms. Now, they're obviously very subjective kind of terms. So, you know, we'll try and answer that as much as we can. Um, Taddy, I'm going to go to you for this one. For me, I have to make sure that I am really really turned on. And I know that may seem like a basic piece of advice, but you would be surprised how strong your orgasms will be if you really take the time to explore every part of your body before you even get to the genitals. You can play with your ears, your neck, your breast, chest, arms, stomach, everywhere on your body before you even get to the genitals. And also, don't be afraid to explore different types of stimulation. It could be watching something that's very erotically pleasing to you. So it could be porn. It could be a nice sexually charged Netflix movie. It could be erotica that you read. Try different methods of turning yourself on. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Robin, I'm going to go to you for that one. Sorry. Okay. I was like sitting here trying to answer. You're, you're texting. <laughs> no, not texting. I was oh, like, in the, cha the chat box. Yeah. For the other participants, because they're asking some really great questions. And I'm sitting here going, okay. So, um, no, you hear Grant. So that was just how to make your orgasm stronger. Oh, well, somebody tell me. No, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay. <laughs> Uh, so the Carly could tell you, but that's, we'll come to Carly in a minute. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But so you're talking about how can, so you've experienced orgasms, but you want it, you're, you feel like they're not big enough. They're not explosive enough and you want to make them more explosive. Um, just trying different techniques, different ways of stimulating. It might be one part of your body is, you know, like Tatiana had said earlier, you know, you're talking about other, like for, you can just explore, people with disabilities know this, that there are other parts of your body that, you know, feel sensation or can be stimulated sexually. Um, and this is where your brain comes into play. Um, and, but, you know, people have been able to have orgasms from getting their neck like made out with and kiss and suck. Um, I have a friend who is a quadriplegic who can have an orgasm from having his thumb sucked and stimulated. Um, where you have, you know, powerful orgasms are not necessarily going to be around your genitals. Not for everybody. Yeah, you know, we all have different. You know, we all have different bodies. There are billion, you know, billions of bodies on there. They're not all work exactly 
the same. We have different areas. And so just explore those, but, you know, explore it with yourself, explore it with a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I find places on my body that feel things that I did not know until somebody else helped me find them. So good exploration. Yeah. <laughs> Carly, I know you're going to say ones, but you know, So I'm not going to go for the obvious. We talked about like edging and we talked about exploring. Um, I'm going to say like definitely focus on like edging and like warming your body up. And I, and I want to talk a little bit more about erogenous zones because people just think that it's like nipples and like things outside of genitals, but it's like anywhere the skin is really thin on your body, like anywhere would really hurt to get a tattoo would feel really good to caress and skin craves varieties. So just because you've teased your skin with a feather and that doesn't do it for you, doesn't mean that there's not other sensations that you won't enjoy. So like try a loofah, try massage stones, try different textures and see what like your skin enjoys. Um, But also I'm a really big fan of um, stimulating gels uh, and what they are, they're topical gels that anyone with any body configuration can use. They work on clits, nipples, under the head of a penis. Um, And what they do is they draw the blood to the surface and they make things more sensitive and tingly. Um, I think they're really, really great. I tend to recommend all natural ones because if um, you're sensitive to L-arginine, you could get uh, HPV or a herpes outbreak. So you just want to be mindful of that. But I think the stimulating gels can really intensify your orgasm. Mm, that's something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I started reading after what Robin said, so hopefully I didn't miss anything. But that bodies can feel different, different times of the day, different days of the week and different times of the month. And so something that feels like you feel nothing today, three days from now might give you that orgasm of the thumb or the earlobe, right? And so don't decide, like, I tried this once, it didn't work, like my body's dead in this area. Like, allow yourself to repeat and come back to and play. Particularly if you're someone with a body that menstruates, that is probably going to be related to your hormones. But I imagine also testosterone levels as they differ, I think it's every couple of hours, right? That that might also influence skin sensitivity. That's a really good point. Yeah, the biology of it as well. And also who's touching you as well sometimes is the, the thing, you know, maybe it's someone you're not just not that into and you're like, oh, I'm not buying into this as much. So maybe that's a thing. Yeah. Ginny, what are your thoughts on that one? Oh, um, yeah, big up edging, my friends. If you aren't up on that, get up on that. Um, different sensations, as uh, Carly also mentioned. Um, even using your old regular reliable toys, you can change up where you put them, how you move them, the pressures of what, what you're doing with that. Um, but the biggest one for me, and that's really empowered my sex life is to just get out of this performative headspace get out of the do I look fat is my hair on show am I pulling a funky face you know get that all out of the way and just focus on sweating and enjoying yourself and really really feeling that orgasm from every from like the beginning to the peak you know and afterwards milk it for all it's worth and don't ever think about what's going on anywhere but here yeah, that's my amazing. big big bit there it's really helped me that it's mad how we can make all these faces in the gym but when it comes to sex we're like oh no no one can see me make this weird face but in the gym we're like Ur! 
sure <laughs> and it's fine like we're not as weirded out by that so what's oh. a gym Caroline oh, I know. it's been a while Diddy <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that but yeah it's definitely been a while um I want to go on something that, that I think all of you can kind of comment on and it's relationship breakups at the moment um why is everybody ghosting so we, we spoke with this before we came on air that this seems to be an international thing you know it's not just an Irish thing or British or UK or American thing what is the story with ghosting I'm going to go to Tatiana first ghosting is an interesting concept because I feel like part of the reason why people do it is because sometimes it happens in a specific context where you're not in a legitimate relationship so and what I mean by legitimate is a relationship where you both have agreed on what your title is, what the boundaries are, expectations. So when you're in that in-between stage where you're intimate emotionally and physically, but you haven't really discussed what y'all actually are, then when someone's not interested for whatever reason, they just ghost. Maybe it's because they feel awkward about saying, hey, I'm not really interested in this anymore for whatever reason. And they just don't want to make things weird for the other person. But what they end up doing is making it 10 times worse because they're not being completely honest. So I think that explains a lot of the reason why people ghost is because they're just not really sure how to handle that situation when nothing's been defined anyway. I think um, Bear has put in the comments, I call it submarining <laughs> when they keep popping up every couple of months and then disappearing again. Yeah, also, also a thing. Yeah. Um, Carly, what about you and, and breakups? What are you noticing? I mean, I am famous for ghosting people. So like, I'm a strong believer that not everyone deserves an ending if they didn't treat you right, honestly. And like, sometimes you just have to place your boundaries when you have to and just cut people off and like, some like I'm not saying that that's why it always happens sometimes people just don't want to have a difficult situ like conversation but also like maybe examine like if you've made this person uncomfortable and feel that they they can't come to you with like breaking up um and if you're if you've been ghosted just like you know you're allowed to be hurt it sucks but you know there's so many people in the world just meet someone new <laughs> Absolutely. I saw Robin, you were like very enthusiastic about that answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I, I love everything that comes out of Carly's mouth, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And um, we've just been joined by Justine. Hello, Justine. Hi everyone. It seems like I got the wrong time zone. <laughs> oh, you're fine. This I'm happens. so sorry. You're I actually, thought I was 15 minutes early. Oh, you're fine. Look, I've been there and done that, so don't worry. We're actually talking about your, your kind of specialist um, subject area. For anyone who doesn't know, um, Justine, uh, oh God, you know, your speaker bio is again, I've had to chop it right down, but you're a child of Philippine immigrants, the founder and director of health and wellness at a school in New York City, a speaker on intersectional sexuality topics for student, faculty and parents all across the US. But at the moment, we were talking about breakups and we were saying, why is everybody ghosting at the moment? And I know you've done a lot of work about how to have a good breakup. So what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I'm not sure what was covered already. And I apologize again for my uh, tardiness. Um, but what I would say is uh, ghosting really sucks because it really disconnects you from the ability to give people honest feedback while also asserting uh, your own boundaries. And I feel like it's always a missed opportunity when people go the route of I'm just not going to talk to someone that I've been maybe talking to regularly for the last few days or months when it could have been really an opportunity for retaining some type of human connection um, while still letting someone know what they could have done better. Um, and so, yeah, I recently launched this account called Goodbyes. I put it in my, my name if you want to check it out. Um, but I'm providing people with like specific scripts for different types of dating scenarios where they might be inclined to ghost, but instead could say the following and just copy paste from. So I'm hoping that people can see it. It doesn't have to be that hard, but most of the times it's because there's just a, they're at a loss of words. And uh, I have usually too many words to share. So hopefully that can be of help to some folks. The, the one I used to always have was, um, oh, you seem like a really nice person, but we just don't have the kind of chemistry that I'm looking for, but all the best. And that's kind of like, it's not you, it's just the, the biological part of things. So there's no blame and, yeah. you know, kind of gets you out of it without kind of being too complicated I suppose um I'm going to run on to the next question there um it's just come in on the dms um any advice for someone whose sex drive has completely disappeared in the past year and this may be related to having the hormonal coil in which has led to struggling with mental health for the past um 12 months but it's hard to have no interest in sex and this can be a pandemic thing also we're all highly anxious at the moment and anxiety has come up a lot tonight in a lot of the questions that, that I'm kind of get getting to so I'm gonna go to um I'm gonna go to Ginny for that one because I know you were anxious even about coming on tonight to, to I'm always well. anxious cracky <laughs> yeah oh I get anxious about things like that um so I've spoken to a few different types of people that have been dealing with differences in sex drives in their relationship or medical conditions causing inorgasmia completely and it sort of depends on what you want to do to proceed, really. You can go along with the route of trying to change medications and alter um, to schedule your sex around times where your medication effects would be lower and you'd have more chance to have that peak in sex drive or reach the orgasm. Or you can go the other way of focusing your attentions on redefining what sex means and what you want to do as sexual acts in your relationship. Um, for example, I spoke to one lady who due to medication had an orgasmia and um, decided to focus her um, wants onto pleasing her partner. And that was where she got her gratification and her pleasure from because she couldn't physically do it with herself, you know, put that effort into other people and I guess that's one way to look at it that maybe is a bit I would be a bit like you know I don't want to do that I'd rather it were back on me come on um but you know you've got to have those options and definitely trying to schedule and work on defining what you can do as sex would be important and that is always really important especially with disabilities um sex doesn't necessarily mean one thing because that might not be achievable with your ability so don't feel afraid to redefine it to make sex work for you Absolutely. oh that helps Carly do you want to come in on that about anxiety um I would say 
something that's been helpful like in the moment of being anxious because like I don't I'm not a therapist I can't help you not be anxious at all but like in the moment I think um what's been helpful for me is like anxiety techniques with breathing uh there's a technique called the four seven eight technique um basically you breathe in through your nose for four you hold for seven and then you breathe out through your mouth for eight and if you've ever ever done some sort of intentional breathing you know you get almost a little high or like lightheaded but it can help ground you in your body and help you feel the sensations of what you're feeling a little more intensely um and also like when you're focusing on your breath it kind of can push all the noise out of your head uh that's something that's helped me but not my uh wheelhouse (laughs) I think maybe press be more tatty. Is that kind of as part of your studies? We're we're speaking about anxiety regarding low arousal or low libido, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Just making sure we're that's what we're talking about. No, I was yeah, gonna so, say I think I answered the wrong question then. Oh well you still answer it like there's there's a ton on anxiety, so it's all kind of asking it and it that's that really says something that there are so many questions about anxiety coming in. So, um, and yeah, I think, I think we had like seven with the same kind of thing, but yeah. Um, so yeah, but that one was specifically more about the, the is the coil perhaps, uh, you know, a, a part to play or is it a general anxiety or is it just another low libido thing? How do you figure that out? It, it could be based on your situation. It's one of those things where you need to think internally and ponder what's going on in your life. It could be school, it could be work-related, but one thing I suggest for people, and it's a nice science experiment kind of, because I suggest that people have sleep orgasms. So while you're dreaming at night and you're in the deepest part of your sleep cycle, you can have orgasms in your dreams. And one thing I suggest for people is to sleep on their stomach because that helps with regulating the blood flow to your genitals. And also just thinking about sexually charged topics or viewing those kind of images and thinking about that before you go to sleep. So then if you're not experiencing that arousal while you're consciously awake, at least in your dreams and in your sleep, that could be part of a way for your brain and your body to experience those sensations that you may not be getting while you're awake. So that's a cool experiment to try. Yeah, I must have been sleeping on my stomach last night because uh, there was a very nice room back onto the AVNs last night. So, but I won't tell you. All about <laughs> yeah. that. Um, we'll we'll leave that for another day. Um, we had another one on the anxiety part, but this was more about experience. This is someone who had very little sexual experience and felt very anxious doing things for the first time. And they listed specifically oral sex and penetrative sex. So they asked, how did they get over that and get more comfortable with? First first time experiences and they were a little not shamed because they they were in their 20s but that feeling of oh you should have done this by now kind of thing you know um yeah I'm mispronouncing your name sorry yeah no I'm missing that up completely apologies yeah oh, that was very close yeah okay, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. so sorry um I was trying to read another <laughs> question so it was concern okay. around time at which this person was starting to have sex and their age and lack of experience. and the anxiety over doing things for the first time okay I feel like I'm better equipped to answer like when you have um con- like how to have that conversation but that's I think a little bit different than 
they yeah. want to be part of it if you're I okay. mean that's one way to minimize anxiety isn't it to bring up that conversation and, and talk about it yeah so one thing that I talk about with folks is like particularly I think a lot of dating is happening online pre-COVID and particularly now with COVID and that we often match with people that aren't particularly great matches because what we're sharing about ourselves isn't particularly not so inaccurate, but is painting a picture that will not offer the things that we need. Right. And so I remember years ago, I, I was looking for something casual and someone messaged me and said, I'm not, I'm not looking for something casual. I want something serious. And I was like, awesome. I wish you the best of luck. Peace. Right. <laughs> and this person was like, never mind, never mind. I want to have sex. Right. But like <laughs> this idea of what is it that you're looking for? And there is pressure to be into hookups and there is pressure to be experienced and to disassociate emotions with sex. And then there is also pressure to like not have a high body count. And there is pressure to, um, there's like, there's pressure from all stages. And I suggest that people, when they're having conversations, particularly with new potential partners, that they be very clear, like, where are you in your experience? If you haven't had any sort of sexual experiences, like that is useful information to share. Um, some people will have negative responses. And again, that's probably not someone you want to be with. And it sucks because your number of likes and dating pool is going to get shrink, but ideally like 10 shitty matches is useless, right? If you can find one good match, that is where you want to be. And so telling people, Hey, I don't have any experience and I feel like I want to feel comfortable and safe when I do not necessarily that I'm looking for someone to come by with a white horse or whatever, but like that I want to feel that's a reasonable ask. Yeah. That is something that you want to share. So your boundaries aren't passed and your limits are not ignored. Not that they should ever be, but in particular, right. To set that space up for safety. And also if you're like, I just want to get laid, you can say that too, right? I just want to get laid. <laughs> I'm not looking for anything in particular, whatever it is. And it's going to vary by gender, the kind of reactions you're going to get, right. That's of course, but this is a women's day. So I'd say that Women in general have that opportunity to be able to say more what they're seeking. There's more shamey, but you're less likely to be knocked down. Um, I think like in the het situations, if men are like, I just want to have sex, people are like, oh no, there's something really wrong with you. Um, but in, yeah, in het situations. But yeah, so being that clear, I'm going to be really repetitive, I guess. No, 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 it absolutely makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm going to go to Justine then on, on that as well. I wanted to add that um, I think we also need to spread our definition of what intimacy can look like, because I think people do have this very goal oriented mindset that, you know, first, second, third base means, you know, I'm not experienced because I haven't gotten to second base yet. I've stayed at first base. That can be fine. That can be hot. That can be completely satisfying for some people. So really remembering that, you know, intimacy is not the same thing as intercourse. Intercourse is not the same thing as intimacy. And everyone's going to define pleasure in a variety of different ways. And if you can um, feel comfortable exploring your body first and finding someone who allows you to um, explore that in, you know, with such freedom, that's already going to just create more pleasure without putting specific acts attached to those, um, to, to those types of pleasure. So just taking off some pressure on feeling like you have to, you know, check off boxes um, and also validating that all things can be pleasurable so long as it's something that feels good to you. Yeah, and it comes in so, and that's the joy of sex as well. It comes in so many lovely, weird and wonderful ways. So that's a nice thing. Um, I'm going to just ask the last question there, and this is one to all panelists, and it's just, 
what do you want people to know about consent? We're trying to build a consent culture here. We're trying to expand people's definitions of consent and understandings of consent. And I know there was a question in the chat there earlier from Phoenix about what do you think about um, sex education at the moment? So I'm going to piggyback off that and just ask about what what would we like people to understand about consent now 2021 we're hopefully a little bit more switched on about consent we know it exists it is a real thing um but how, where do we talk about this so i'm going to start with Ginny on this one hello yes um okay my sex education at school and it wasn't that long ago i'm a young one um shocking absolutely nothing about consent um you know I just really hope that going forward, and I mean, it's not happening anytime soon because, you know, sex education is still not mandatory in the UK. I mean, it is now mandatory, but what you have to say is very, you know, up to your own imagination, really. There needs to be this conversation of consent from a very young age, doesn't there? Um, you know, people need to be going into their sexual experiences at whatever age that may be with the knowledge that whatever they are comfortable doing is completely acceptable. You know, when I was growing up, there was this expectation that, you know, you, you date somebody for a couple of months and then, you know, you'd have sex with them. That was it. And, you know where was where's the choice in that where's the comfort in that you know there's this expectation rather than a conversation amongst partners and you think none of this should have been happening because there was no education there was no like teaching about this and it was leading to you know dodgy situations that you know you didn't necessarily want to be in but you know you're going along to try and not feel like a prude and not feel like you're uh, unexperienced and everything like that and I don't know how to work that going forward and I mean as I said I've sort of just glossed over all of that in my life now and, and I'm in a comfortable relationship where sex and consent is more nuanced and it's more like yeah go on I'll take my slippers off kind of thing um, <laughs> but I really fear for the young people that are growing up today and the people that are coming out of relationships that they've been all in older life and things have changed now and they don't know where to start and they don't know how to articulate these conversations and that's something that you know we, we now understand that it can be a bit more nuanced and that doesn't have to be may I please have sex with you like a robot you know it can be do you like this can I touch you here that sort of thing but there was none of that and I feel like robbed of that education I'm so glad I've found it later on in my life and I'm now seeing sex and consent as an enthusiastic and positive ongoing thing um shame I missed out on that earlier really yeah robbed is a actually a really great word, word for that one yeah um I'm gonna go to Carly next I think an amazing thing about consent and specifically a sexual context is that you could make it a lot more interesting than people think. It's not just like, is this okay? Is that okay? You could turn it into dirty talk and can help you kind of like mold your sexual scene into something that both of you enjoy. And that consent is also ongoing. And just because that we're having sex right now doesn't mean I consent to everything that's happening. And that's why you have to continue to check in. And even if it's, do you like this or do you want it harder? It could be something that's gonna end up being pleasurable for both people. 
makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that's super important is talking about consent outside of sex. And like, I think lots of folks have difficulty setting their boundaries and recognizing their bodily autonomy and mental well-being because they've been taught to please others and to put themselves aside in so many aspects of their lives, right? And so whether it's saying to your friend, I don't have the, right, I don't have the, the my cup is not full today and I cannot hear what you have to share. And can we talk tomorrow when I'm feeling better? Like being able to do that kind of mental care for ourselves or being able to say, I need physical space, like do not come within 10 feet of me today and practicing that, right? And that starts with babies and infants and how we talk to them about diapering, how we talk to them about their own bodies and their exploration of themselves and where and when to do things so that you don't also, right? Like the, the consent of others around you in the space in which you are existing. And so consent, just like broadening that. So we recognize the differences. And then also like I, I was having this conversation with um, a client today, but that freezing and fawning, right? The, the fear response of not responding and then the fear response of going along with something are real. And we need to ask better of one another that we are doing those check-ins. And I know that literature and some people are saying, right, there's a, there are people who, there are women specifically who do not want to have explicit consent asked because they think it's unsexy. And that, <laughs> right? Of course there are ways to do it that are unsexy. I totally get that, right? The mechanical things that the two of you just mentioned. And also when we teach people, don't ask me, don't check in with me, we are teaching them to do, to engage in behaviors that will then harm others, right? And so even if you're like, this is not my ideal, figuring out how to communicate that to a partner so they understand like there are still ways in which you are checking in, there are still ways in which you are confirming that this is good so that when you are no longer together, if you are no longer together, that person does not perpetuate harm on others based upon your like thinking that it's not sexy. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And that's what, important to check in. What works for your ex is not necessarily going to work for, for a new partner there as well. Um, Robin, what do you what are your okay. thoughts on consent there? Um, I just wanted, okay, there was like a couple of things I wanted to say about consent. Um, we also need to talk about the kinds of no's. Like everybody thinks, you know, we don't talk about like soft no's or being able to listen to what somebody is saying and how they're saying no. Um, especially because women, we have been taught about, you know, taking care of people's feelings and how to be like, oh, well, you know, um, I'm not really feeling that right now. And where you can get, you know, where somebody will railroad you know, just go right over that, you know, and not like, oh, well, just do this. And I want to do this like right now, um, you know, and um, that because we've been, like I said, we've been conditioned to be nice and to be uh, to let people down easy or whatever, but also to kind of cover up how we feel and to make other people feel better. And so, and, and we're finding ourselves and this is like coming up a lot in different Me Too um, I say that in situations where people are like, I didn't, I felt pressured into giving him a hand job or I felt, um, you know, but because, you know, he kept asking 
or whatever. And he wasn't really listening to how I was saying, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really into this or I don't want to do this. Um, the other thing too, I wanted to say about consent is that yes, people with disabilities, you know, can consent, but you know, there's also different ways of consenting that aren't exactly verbal that people can consent non-verbally as well and learning what that looks like and you know how different forms of communication anyway that was my take on it and I know there's some more things That's we need no, to know absolutely all completely valid absolutely um Tatiana your thoughts I want people to know that consent is general communication sometimes people reframe it as a robotic thing like will you have sex with me at this time and this day and whatnot but it can be just general conversation like for example if you're on twitter and there's this viral tweet about someone's thoughts on a specific sex position and you screenshot that tweet and send it to your partner and say, ooh, like, this is actually kind of hot. You want to try this? That's a regular conversation right there. So I also agree with Carly and Yale about communication outside of the bedroom and also making it sexy and dirty in your talk and your texts and things like that. So that's what I want people to know. Absolutely. I just before we go to Justine, you, your thoughts there about um, making it dirty and Jenny's about, I'll go on then. Like that's consent for me and my husband at the moment. I can't be bothered half the time. And I'm like, right, go on then, lash it in sometimes. And it's like the least sexiest thing in the world. But it is consent. It's more like it's responsive consent. And that's obviously a conversation we've had amongst ourselves and stuff. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered, book one, like, we'll have a look at this. And like, that works for us. And that's, you know, it's a joke for us. And but that doesn't obviously work on a first date, or if you don't know a person, or, you know, that if you just say that to someone on a first date, it's probably not even very sexy anyway. But like, you know, we're together six years, we're like, we're lucky to have a sex life still anyway, ourselves at this point. But it just, yeah, like that, it doesn't have to be enthusiastic as in, oh, my God, yeah, I'm dying to have sex. Sometimes it's like, all right, go on then. Like Ginny said, I'll take my slippers off, you know, or like, I'm not even going to bother take my pants off. I'll just pull them to the side and you can manage that way. Like, do you know, we can be lazy about consent sometimes in a very consensual overall situation. So yeah, I just, um, he's probably going to kill me for saying that, but sure, look, he knows who we married. So that's that, that's that anyway. Um, Justine, I'm going to go to you, to you. Consent is your area really, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of it's one of my areas. Um, the reason that I think consent is sexy is because it actually makes the experience more pleasurable. I want you to think about, um, you know, how it's going to feel if you know for sure that someone wants to be doing this intimate act with specifically you. They could have picked maybe anyone, and they're choosing you. Right. And so when you know that person is really engaged in what you have to offer, it's going to feel better. And yet we live in a world that settles and has a low standard of making an action occur so that the action can just occur, but not necessarily experience pleasure. And I think when we um, consider like our self-esteem, do we really want to engage in a behavior with someone that's not really that into it with you? Or you would feel like you have to convince them to do this thing with you 
Is it even going to feel that good? Um, and if you know that, you know, something is that you have to convince someone to do something with you, it kind of is, you know, a blow on your own self-esteem that you had to, you know, persuade them into this movement, which honestly might diminish either the degree of your orgasm or pleasure or really diminish how you feel about yourself. And yet we do the thing anyway, because sometimes we're goal oriented and wanting to complete the act. So really having that conversation and making sure it's a collaboration and there's a reciprocity and understanding each other's desires and needs will actually enhance the experience. So let's not settle and keep that bar low of what pleasure can be when we know that it can be something um, mutually experienced in a way that is so high on, on pleasure. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, that kind of sums it up really well there. So absolutely. Look, we'll wrap things up there. We, we've gone gone into our hour. This will be released as a podcast in itself um, tomorrow. I can't thank my panelists enough because I just think it's so lovely to have all those different perspectives. But yet we all had like lovely similarities in between us, even though we're all international and stuff. Um, where can people find you if they want to reach out and contact you about your specific specific areas or just have the general chats. Uh, Justine, I'm going to go with you there. Sure. Um, I'm Justine AF on Instagram and my um, goodbyes account is um, underscore good period buys underscore for all of the scripts to uh, compassionately yet assertively reject someone that you might be dating. Brilliant. Robin? I'm saying you're still trying to answer questions because I was like, ah, okay um are we giving where you can find me uh yeah <laughs> oh okay yeah you can find me on twitter at sexabled you can also find me instagram um robin lwb i think that's me yeah i have you uh, tagged in in the things yeah, anyway, in case anyway, you forget i'm always you know happy to connect especially um i love talking to everyone around the world because disability is a human condition so that means that affects everybody around the world so it absolutely does absolutely yeah uh Ginny hello loveys I'm I've put it oh you've put yourself on mute <laughs> honestly um I don't know where I got up to in that but uh, I've put my name on my little thingy and I've just put it in the chat I'm only on Instagram it's my does it at my disabled sex life um, I'm very happy to have a chit chat with anybody about anything really especially dogs <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for having us Caroline this has been great brilliant um and Tatiana on Instagram and Twitter, I am Tati underscore K underscore King. That is T-A-T-Y underscore K underscore K-I-N-G. And yeah, just follow me and DM me and say, hey, I was at the virtual panel slash live podcast and I will follow you back and we can be best friends forever. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. I put it in the chat, but I am Yael the Sex Geek at Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, all the things, even Clubhouse, though I can't access it because I don't own anything Apple. Um, yeah. Fair play to you for having the patience for TikTok. I just can't do it, but fair play to you. And Carly. All of my uh, social media is Makeup and Sin. If you follow me on any platform, even 
PlayStation or Pokemon Go. It will be makeup and sin. Um, and my blog is dildo or dildo.com. Brilliant. I love, I love that. Um, I also have lube and condoms away with thanks to Hanks. So gorgeous body safe lube and gorgeous vegan condoms. I just love the simplicity of the packets. It's just like nice and calm. So um, I'm going to ask, I have two big ones and I have a couple of small ones. So I'm actually going to ask all of you. We have 40 people left over. Um, Justine, give me a number between one and 40. Seven. Okay, luck. I don't have to count as much. Happy days. Um, Aoife Crowley. Perfect. Aoife, drop me a DM with your email and we'll get that out to you. Robin, number between one and 40. Robin, <laughs> you there? I was like, I said it. I forgot to unmute. Okay. 28. 28. God, I hate counting. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, Kiva, Kiva Shaughnessy, brilliant. Drop me a DM with your email and we'll get you there. And then these are for smaller packets, which are samples and individual condoms as well. Um, Taddy, a number between one and 40? Um, 15. 15. Uh, Ellen O'Shea. Ellen, drop me an LDM. Okay, and then Yael, uh, one and 40. Uh, the last number, I think it's now 39. That way you don't have to oh, count. Okay. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, Sinead, Sinead Creaney. Perfect, drop me a line with your, um, your, your things, your DMs, <laughs> your whatever it is. And then Carly. Three. Thank you, uh, Alison. Alison Keen. Okay, perfect. Drop me lines. Oh God, I'm not a maths person at all. Thank you for that. So, listen, that is us um, for today. Um, thanks, Emil, for for coming along. For the winners, drop me a line. Either you can drop me a DM at Glow West Podcast on Instagram or Twitter. Um, Happy Women's Day to absolutely everybody. Um, and of course, we are trans inclusives and TERFs can F-U-C-K out of here. Uh, we have no time for TERFs um, just because there's been a lot of them in Irish uh, tweeting and stuff today and they can feck right off. So no. Um, so listen, if you want to follow the podcast, it's Glow West Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and Glow West Podcast on um, Twitter and Instagram. There's already episodes up with Robin and Justine and Tati and the others will follow soon some of them have not been formally asked yet but now they have so we will chat to them soon um and brilliant listen thanks emil to all the participants as well and thanks everyone for coming along and sharing the love for sex and all its weird and wonderful glory so thanking you everyone <laughs>